Hi, I'm Adam Spencer and welcome to Day One, the podcast that spotlights Australian startups, founders, and the organizations that empower Australian entrepreneurship. We go back to the beginning to tell the story of Australia's most inspiring founders and how they built their companies. You're listening to a special interview series as part of a documentary W2D1 is producing about the history of the Australian startup ecosystem. This episode was conducted by guest host, Will Cho. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Australian Startup Series interviews. Our guest today is Phil Ireland. Phil, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you. Thank you. To start us off, could you please introduce yourself and tell us what you're working on? Great. Yeah, so my name's Phil Island. I am the CEO and founder of a company based in Newcastle called Hone Carbon. Our mission is to reduce the cost and complexity of soil organic carbon measurement to accelerate drawdown of greenhouse gases and our goals towards net zero. My background is actually not in startups or entrepreneurialism, it's in climate change, advocacy and policy. And that's what I spent most of my previous career doing before starting this about two years ago. I guess to start us off, I'd like to go right back to the beginning. What drew you into impact work, Phil? It's a good question. I think it probably goes back to a story when I was freezing cold and in Copenhagen. I was at the ill-fated COP Copenhagen Climate Conference. (laughs) At the time, I was working in the not-for-profit sector with Oxfam International, working as a climate policy and advocacy specialist. Obviously, the outcomes we got from Copenhagen weren't what we wanted. And from that, and over the following couple of years, I began to develop a deeper appreciation of the role the private sector and startups can play in addressing our climate challenges. Yeah, it's interesting because why did you choose startups as the vehicle to drive the impact instead of following along the non-for-profit route? Yeah, it's a great question. I didn't initially. So I was in the not-for-profit sector for quite some time. I also tried my hat at academia and did a PhD in climate change policy. I got a lot of respect for academics, but the pace of change was a bit too slow for me. I think The thing that really moved me over the line actually was seeing the role of renewable energy companies, particularly solar, Mm. and how they have really driven an uptake in renewables and just recognizing that renewable energy companies have played a really critical way alongside government to help us to start to achieve our mitigation goals. Yeah. So in essence, would you say it's pretty much pace of change and actually being able to see tangible results when you're in the field with the business? I think that's part of the answer. I think governments have a really key role in setting policy and creating initiatives and creating the container for other things. But I think the private sector has a particular ability to move quickly and nimbly and experiment and adapt and fail fast in a way that government can't. And I think that's one of the contributions that the private sector makes to addressing global problems at this point in history. Yeah. What was your first impression when you first delved into the startup land two years ago? Very positive, actually. I was surprised to find such a robust ecosystem. I'm based in Newcastle, north of Sydney. And even here, there's a 
fairly robust startup community with, I would say, tens of startups, a couple of larger ones. There's a supportive network called the Integration Innovation Network, abbreviated to I2N Hub, that's spun out of the Newcastle University, and they serve as a real supportive organization for founders and organizations. I think it's similar to the Sydney Startup Hub. So that's been, yeah, really good. And also learning about the Sydney Startup Hub and, and similar things in Melbourne. I didn't actually know any of that existed prior to entering into this space. Yeah. And how did you end up finding them? Did you get referred or was it like friends and family? So I actually joined, I spun off a subsidiary of an existing business. So it was through the existing business really and their connections that I was made aware of it. And it's safe to say that the existing business had got a whole lot of support from those organizations and communities as well. Mm, I see. I noticed from your profile perusing LinkedIn and also the website for Hone that the word social entrepreneurship isn't mentioned. Was that deliberate? No, it wasn't actually. I mean, it's a good, it's a good point. I think we talk about impact and mission, but we don't talk about social or environmental entrepreneurship at all. It's a good flag. Yeah, I suppose the reason that I asked that is because one of the recent interviews that we did on this podcast was interviewing the founders of Thank You, and they noted a distinction between the traditional startup environment as well as social entrepreneurship. And I wanted to know if you felt that sort of separation, or do you feel it's like just one and the same? Ah, I think there's some separation, but I think it's very grey. I think a lot of companies and startups now are driving towards impact and doing things that make the world better. So I actually think a lot of entrepreneurs are socially entrepreneurial. And I think even for companies and startups that aren't doing that, they try and sell themselves as doing that. So it's, I think it's a big gray area, actually. Mm, A big gray area. And the lines just seem to get more and more blurred over time, is it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm sure Uber would describe itself as a social (laughs) impact entrepreneurial startup, but I I certainly wouldn't describe it that way. Yeah, I I know what you mean. You know, after being in the um, ecosystem for about two years, what are your opinions on on gaps or improvement opportunities? Yeah, so there's a few. I think in Australia, there's a gap in the funding between seed rounds into series A's and B's. Mm. And there's a bit of a valley of death before companies have really proved significant revenue or profit. And I think the, I'm not sure the risk appetite of VC firms and others in Australia is optimized to really support good ideas, get through to that series A and B. That would be my first reflection. My second would be timely and predictable government grants. I think the government thinks they're really good at granting because they look at the total number that they grant, either at state or federal levels, but the system is mired in complexity. You have no idea how many people are applying to a grant, if someone's already kind of been picked for it, which is fine, but people should just know before they pour weeks of their precious time into applying. Mm. Timelines are unpredictable in terms of when you hear back and when money can be granted. From when you submit an application, it can be over a year before you actually receive money, which for a startup is just not viable at all. So it's not, there's not for lack of money or 
lack of will from the government. But I would say there's great inconsistency across grant programs, and they could be far more optimised to really support robust Australian startups that can grow to being highly profitable Australian and international businesses. Yeah, just in essence, greater engagement with the stakeholders, with the startups, making sure that they're in on the journey and transparency into how many people are applying so that no time is wasted. Yeah, there's there's simple fixes. Like one is for if you have a grant, getting people to put in a letter, an expression of interest, which would be like a two or three page form. And then from that, the government narrows it down to 20 applicants going for a couple of grants. Whereas now there's a whole bunch of grants where you have to do the full application. And I know some instances where there have been thousands of applications for a couple of grants, in which case your likelihood of success is close to zero. Hmm. Uh, When you mentioned before about VCs, optimized to getting from series A to B, it's interesting. Could you elaborate a little bit more on what you meant there? Yeah, I I meant more from seed rounds to series A's and series B's. So in that bridging finance. So I think there's a lot of support for small amounts of money to back an initial idea and a founder for a year or two. And then I think once there are viable companies, there's lots of capital around that's willing to go into an equity investment. But getting between those two places is complex and there aren't many VC firms that do it at this point. Yeah. Do you find that applying for VC funding is difficult as a social enterprise, given that the primary focus isn't just profits? It's obviously impacts, but it's not really it's not really what VCs are looking for because they look for metrics that are numbers-based. Do you find that's a struggle? In my space, which is the climate space and the drawdown space, I've actually found the opposite. And there is so much capital at the moment floating around to support good climate ideas. A case in point is obviously Mike Cannon-Brooks and their foundation, but there's a lot of capital there. Mm. The only feedback we've ever had or I've ever had is that I need to be more impact-focused and more climate impact focus because people want to see really tangible long-term impact and outcomes for their investment. I think it might be different for other types of impact, but at this point in time in the climate space, there are people throwing money behind ideas just to get, just to reduce emissions and to draw down greenhouse gases out of the atmosphere, regardless of long-term profitability. I know this question, next question can be a huge can of worms. It's just about measuring impact. Do you think Australia has done a good good job about how it wants to see impact being measured within the startup ecosystem, that is? Oh, from what I've seen, there's only one answer to that question, and that's no. There are definitely not clear, consistent metrics across individuals, organizations, or government for impact. Sometimes governments make their own metrics, others refer to the SDGs. I don't think there's a clear enough rubric or measurement at all. Yeah. And do you see the startup ecosystem as playing a role in perhaps defining something like that? I haven't thought about it before, but yes, I think it it absolutely should. But I'm not sure for any startup founder and any startup staff member, time is obviously incredibly scarce. Hmm. So putting time into something like that you would want to see that and you'd want to believe that it is going to actually result in a tangible change or impact, ironically. So that that would be my reflection. Yeah. 
on the flip side of all of this, what do you think as a community that we've done pretty well? I think in Australia, obviously I'm relatively new to the ecosystem and most of my experience has been in Newcastle. Hmm. But I should say what I think we do well here is that it's well networked and there are lots of opportunities to meet other people and connect. I've been very, I think the Sydney Startup Hub and, and similar in Melbourne are really good examples of state governments backing spaces for entrepreneurs. There's no lack of desks to work from or free Zoom subscriptions or whatever else it is. But obviously then getting to the amount of money that you require to run a business is more challenging. I think in Australia, what we do well is you have to be leaner than in perhaps North American or European markets. Hmm. There's not as much capital floating around and the capital that is does hold you to a high standard of accountability. So I actually think Australian startups, I'm obviously biased, but I I think we are broadly better run and you don't have like you do in the US with millions and billions being thrown behind organizations that have no profit or revenue. Yeah. So I think that's a strength and a weakness, but Yeah, I see what you mean. We don't have the luxury of throwing money at problems just because of availability of capital. Correct. But that makes us, I think it makes us stronger and have more robust startups. Do you have any unpopular opinions about our ecosystem, either positive or negative? I think that the VC community is too small and too often organizations have to go overseas to find investors with an aligned risk appetite. Hmm. And I think there's a lot more space in Australia for capital to be investing in good ideas here because we don't lack the capital. I think there's over a trillion dollars in superannuation funds. We have some very big, successful international banks, but they're not really releasing very much, if any, capital for new risky ideas. And I think there's space for big banks, for superannuation funds to be even peeling off a small amount of their funds to make some higher risk investments in startups and scale up organizations. Are you speaking from experience there with Hone? You're having to go internationally to get funding? Yes. Yeah, we have gone international. We've gone international for the networks and the markets, and we'll probably go international again. I would have liked to go international less, less than we have, I think. Mm. If a new entrepreneur or founder came to you, Phil, and given all your experience, your wins and mistakes, what would you tell them to increase their chances of success? I think the key thing I would say is when you're running a business in the first couple of years, first focus on your people, including yourself, then your product, and then your profit in that order. Mm. Everything will come from having the right people and the right team, and then a product that customers want and love and then profit really is third i think if you chase profit first and even revenue you can lay traps for yourself in the future a couple final questions is there any recent developments in the startup world that you think is interesting or a big deal absolutely the capital markets have obviously changed incredibly quickly valuations of companies have been very volatile interest rates are going up i think it's positive I think it can be positive internationally that capital is being a little more discerning and millions and billions aren't being thrown behind companies without revenue, let alone profit. But I think the risk is it's going to flip too much the other way Hmm. and that new good ideas and scale up opportunities might be missed. And I don't think Australian investors 
should be more risk averse in the Australian startup community. So I worry about contagions coming from investor activity in the EU and North America into Australia when we're actually very different markets with very different cultures and very different trends. And lastly, what we're trying to do on this series, Phil, is to basically document as historically and as accurately as possible the history of our ecosystem. And we're aiming to reach all corners from government, academics, investors, as well as founders. Is there anything we haven't talked about today that is top of mind for you that either one or all of those categories need to hear? I would go back to the grants question. Mm. (laughs) I would say there is a lot of money available for grants at the federal and state level, but it is poorly and inconsistently administered. And there are examples of very small organizations receiving the very large buckets of money and not knowing how to spend it. Mm. And very worthy organizations going to great lengths to receive very small amounts of money and it actually being inefficient for the organization, inefficient for the government, and ultimately inefficient for our country's economy. Yeah. Phil, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you so much for your time. Lastly, are there any heroes in the startup space or your story that you'd like to shout out? Oh, that's a great question. I think the first that comes to mind would be Nigel Sharp. He's a tenacious, impact-driven investor from Victoria who's building several incredible organizations, impact-based, but he's also backing new entrants. Uh, He backed me a few years ago, and I'll be forever grateful of that. Secondly, I just I have to call out my partner in Home Carbon, Dr. Simon Wheeler, without whom the business would not exist. He's an incredible mission and impact driven, super smart superstar. But I'm just, yeah, he's amazing. But more broadly, I think, given what we've talked about today, I think impact investors are a group of heroes that I think need calling out mm. because the nature of investment is shifting and the way people want to use their capital is shifting and i think there are some really positive trends and i think people some investors are being more courageous than they would have been in the past and values driven and i think that's i think that's wonderful Hmm. what's next for you and your journey ah just (laughs) continuing to build products that delights our customers and contributing to the global challenge of drawing carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere that's squarely my focus I hope you enjoyed that interview. More interviews are on the way. Follow the podcast wherever you're listening right now. Stay tuned for more interviews with many, many more amazing people from the Australian startup ecosystem. Thanks for listening and see you next time.